0: Atonement is one of those kind of terrifyingly intense Christian words that should sometimes be accompanied by a bum bum bam on David's organ. You hear phrases like, you must atone for your sin, or this suffering is your atonement for what you've done. But it's interesting to actually look at the word atonement and think about what it literally means. Atonement is a compound word like campfire or airport. Atonement is the combination of at one mint. It's a state of being at one with someone else, at unity with someone else. So in the story of the Garden of Eden, we see what perfect atonement looks like. Man and woman walk in perfect unity with God. They walk with God in the cool of the evening. They are in God's image and God's likeness, and they reflect his nature into the whole creation. Through their perfect unity with God, their perfect at one atonement, with the source of life, there is no death. No one ever gets sick in Eden. Through their perfect unity with the source of all truth, there is no ignorance, no blindness. Man and woman are filled with the light of God. And through their perfect unity with God, who is the source of all love, they live in harmony with all of God's creation. They radiate the love of God and the peace of God into the world. And so there is no violence, and no discord, and no suffering. The lion and the lamb lay down together. The wolf and the sheep live in perfect accord. And it's man and woman's turning away from God, and breaking their atonement, and rejecting God, that causes death and suffering and sickness and hunger and blindness and violence to enter into the creation and so this beautiful garden of eden becomes a desert the lion now devours the lamb cancer now devours our bodies we are blind to god's goodness and one another's goodness and our own inherent goodness and the often very harsh world that we all know is born. But a memory of this atonement still lingers on in humanity. We get sick, or we even start to die, and we think, this can't really be happening. My life can't have been that short. This can't really be the end. Even though this is the end we should have seen coming all our lives. Death and taxes, the things you can't avoid. Still, death comes as this massive surprise to us. We see someone cheating someone else, someone being cruel to the helpless, and we think, that's not right. That's not fair. This is not how things should be. Even though for hundreds of thousands of years of human history, basically all we've seen is people being cruel to one another, cheating one another, robbing one another... We have this memory of how things are supposed to be, this memory of a time in which there was no sickness, there was no cruelty or violence or death, and it lingers on within us. We intuitively know what God meant for the creation, but it's actually more than a memory, it's a hope. It's an expectation that this harsh desert of a world in which we live could one day again become that peaceful garden That the waters of life could again run through creation, and that the desert might, as Isaiah says, rejoice and blossom. We remember the true nature of creation, and we hope for a day when everything will be made right. We await this day when there will be no cancer, no terrorism, no exploitation of the poor, or hunger, or blindness, or death. A day when we will return to perfect atonement, when God will again walk with us in the garden. And through humanity's unity with God, the whole creation will be restored. In today's Gospel, St. John the Baptist sends his disciples to Jesus to ask, Are you the one who is to come, or are we to wait for another? And what does Jesus answer? Tell John what you see. The blind receive their sight. The sick are healed. The poor have good news. And the dead are raised to life. Jesus' miracles of healing and feeding and bringing the dead back to life are sometimes misinterpreted as acts of power to prove that he is the Messiah. As if Jesus needed a bunch of magic tricks to show us who he really is. In fact, the miracles of Christ are not displays or proofs of anything. Instead, they are atonement happening before our eyes. Everywhere Jesus goes, Eden is breaking out. The waters of life start flowing through the desert. Jesus comes face to face with the sick and the dead, and suddenly they are filled with life. Jesus comes face to face with the blind, and suddenly they are filled with light. Jesus comes to those People like Zacchaeus, like the woman caught in adultery, who are so far from God, and suddenly they are face-to-face with God in his presence. Some people in the first century were awaiting a Messiah who would be this great king over all humanity, who would be this great general and this great ruler. And Christ is, in a sense, the great king over humanity. But to hope for a Messiah who is merely a worldly king is like searching in a dark room, hoping to come across a match or a candle, and suddenly receiving the full radiance of the sun. What John's disciples find is not merely a great king or a great leader. What they find is Emmanuel, God with us, the restoration of atonement, perfect unity between God and humankind. Are you the one we have been waiting for? Are you the end of death? Are you the end of cancer and heart attacks? Are you the end of suffering and violence and cruelty and all evil? This is the question they ask. And Christ's answer is, you betcha. There's a reason that the incarnation, God becoming human in this humble stable on a winter's night, which we will celebrate in a week's time, is the turning point from BC to AD because it is the most momentous thing ever to happen in all of human history. That one moment marks the beginning of the end for the powers of sin and death over us. That one moment marks the beginning of our atonement of perfect unity between God and humanity as the divine nature of Christ and the human nature of Christ are born as one Through Christ's teaching, our atonement was announced to us. And through his passion and death, our atonement was revealed to us. And through his rising to life and ascending into heaven, and through the coming of the Holy Spirit, our atonement is written within our hearts. And now we as Christians live in the atonement. We live daily in relationship with God. We follow his commandments, we study his word. And we consume the body and blood of Christ, growing daily ever more into his body, the church. We have started to live in that garden already. When World War I ended with the signing of the armistice on November eleventh, 1918, at 5:45 in the morning, everything was over for the Central Powers. They did not have a chance. The war was definitively over. They had lost not a square of captured ground would be kept by the Central Powers. And yet, the fighting went on until 11 a.m. For five more hours, bombs continued to fall, trenches continued to be dug, shots continued to be fired, people continued to die. Even though the war was definitively absolutely over. And this, as Christians, is the situation in which we now live. Atonement has been achieved in Christ. The power of sin and evil and death itself is broken. The enemy is defeated for all time, but not everybody has gotten the memo. The powers of evil continue to struggle as if they had a chance of winning. And humanity has not fully realized the good news. We, too, continue to struggle as if we had something to gain by cheating others, by being unkind to others, by winning arguments and being the right one when the other person is wrong, by gossiping, by running after our own passions. And so the church proclaims the glad tidings once again. The war is over. The enemy is trounced. Wake up and smell the Armistice Day coffee. In just a little while, the king will return to reveal the fullness of the atonement to the living and to the dead. In the blinking of an eye, the Lord will restore the fullness of the garden, and something even better than the garden, for there will be a new heaven and a new earth. And as Isaiah says, the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads, they shall obtain joy and gladness. And sorrow and sighing shall flee away. So St. James tells us today Be patient, therefore, beloved, until the coming of the Lord. Strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. Behold, do not grumble against one another, so that you may not be judged. See, the judge is already standing at the doors. What does it mean to await Christmas? What does it mean to await the final judgment? And what does it mean to really hear the good news of Jesus Christ? It means that we start living in the garden here and now. That we start living as though our death is not scary but irrelevant. As though sickness is just an annoying thing that we have to encounter. As though cruelty and violence and the enemy himself have no power over us. It means starting to live as though we have nothing to gain through judging other people. Nothing to gain through holding grudges or hoping for comeuppances for others. Nothing to gain through amassing more and more stuff for ourselves. The atonement has happened. God walks with us again as the man Jesus Christ. The garden is beginning to blossom, and we as Christians are called to live life in that garden and to enter the new creation in its fullness in the life to come. Amen.